on the viewpoint. Yeah, 20 past 21. That's the time. We have only 40 minutes left of what has been the most enjoyable edition of SAFM, The Viewpoint. And to you, the listeners, for engaging Dade Moyane and his guest um, as you did. It was so nice to listen to that. It, it, it really was. And every time we have a hashtag Tuesday takeover and every time the response is the one of the kind that we had now, it more than justifies why this is now an institution here on The Viewpoint. We will never get rid of it for so long as we're allowed to keep it. So thank you. I can only ever express my gratitude to you. The conversation, of course, does now evolve, and we are now in conversation with Nigeria's High Commissioner to South Africa, His Excellency Mohamed Haruna Manta, who is on the line to talk to us about the relations between South Africa and Nigeria, historically, importantly, but probably even more importantly, where to for the days ahead? Opportunities for Nigerians in South Africa, opportunities for South Africans in Nigeria. We are talking about two of the biggest economies on the continent and the third, and they play among themselves, really musical chairs. Egypt enters the fray, but what is absolutely not in question is that Nigeria is the continent's most populous nation. Sitting at 160, going to 170. Is that right, Ambassador? Good evening, sir. Uh, Good evening. How are you? I could not be better, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having... Well, thank you so much for honoring our invitation here. You are on SAFM, the nation's leading talk radio station. Our fellow listeners will certainly participate in this conversation between the two of us. So if I should take a call, please do indulge them. Perhaps as Nigeria's interest in South Africa and how South African relations with Nigeria have evolved, particularly the last 29 years or so in the democratic dispensation. What can you say are some of the major victories and one of the things that keep this relationship alive and growing between the two nations? Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Briefly and succinctly put, relations between Nigeria and South Africa are historic and very, very cordial. from the period uh, uh, pre-independence of South Africa. That is to say that uh, we've had excellent relationships, even with the ANC particularly, even during the apartheid regime. Mm. And immediately after the independence, we started off on a very, very good footing by assisting ourselves to settle into the international community. And uh, within a short time, it was Nigeria and South Africa that were the major pillars for the reactivation of the OAU, then the Organization of African Unity, and uh, metamorphosing into the African Union. Uh, the, the, the dictum had to change because at, with the independence of South Africa, there was no longer apartheid to fight. So we had to look for a more relevant direction, mm. which we got through articles of development as well as uh, sharing of uh, resources through trade and through exchange of professionals in various fields of endeavor. So uh, in South Africa, I'm happy to say that I have over 50,000 Nigerian professionals working in various sectors in the 
South African economy, ranging from business to public service. So uh, on the on the official level, I can say our relationship has been very cordial because Nigeria and South Africa championed the form- formation of the AU uh, as well as Algeria at that time. Then coming closer, we have we share interest in business as well. And because of all the, the interests we shared, Nigeria said we should uh, put up stronger pillars for the African Union. So we started with NEPAD, who's, that is headquartered in South Africa here. The AUDA NEPAD is a, a mechanism in which the government of, of Africa said they should be looking after themselves and checking themselves, advising themselves, and assessing themselves within agreed parameters of uh, development indices. So uh, we now came onto the issue of trade and uh, created the Africa Continental Free Trade uh, Area uh, to also assist in moving interstate trade on the African continent. So uh, that is headquartered in in, uh, Accra, Ghana, and the first director general there is a South African. So you can see that we have been exchanging very vital notes. And uh, most recently, prior to the, to the uh, just at the beginning of the Ukraine war, Ukraine-Russian war, we have also voted along the same line. Uh, so we, I, I can tell you that officially, Nigeria and South Africa, we are very cordial. We may have some challenges on the person-to-person interaction. The person-to-person diplomacy may not be fully understood by the ordinary person on the street, uh, probably due to the fact that South Africa does not have history in their school curriculum. So the younger uh, South Africans who are below 50 might not appreciate the contributions of Nigeria to the uh, uh, formation and uh, subsequent takeoff of uh, South Africa as a, uh, an independent country. I'll so let you do have take that. this opportunity to give us that yes. very, very synthesized version of that yes. critical history because I think you certainly do raise an important point and this is yes. probably a failure of your bosom buddy, the ANC, in not doing enough to inculcate a pro-African education curriculum that would therefore allow us to have access yes. to these historical accounts immediately on yes. the frontline states and their contribution to the freedom that we have won and the broader African continent, including but not limited to Nigeria being one of the first countries to boycott the Olympics in the 1960s following the yes. positions of Fervut et al. at the time. All of yes. that, unfortunately, is only for the particularly discerning historian and not the average South African scholar who can then exactly. engage exactly. one's education with these particularly important historical accounts at the yes. forefront of one's education. Do you just then want to tell us those, those salient points about these okay. bilaterals and the contribution particularly of Nigeria? Okay. Yes, I'll give you... Just briefly, because we don't have too much time. Sure. Let me say that uh, Nigeria, as a, uh, one of the foundation members of the Organization of African Unity, uh, had also, in, uh, in part of their foreign policy, the 
independence of the entire African continent. And uh, our first prime minister, Satafa Abalewa, mentioned very clearly at the OAU summit that the independence of Nigeria will not be meaningful without commensurate emancipation of the entire African continent. And uh, because of that, we, from day one, made it a point of duty to challenge the colonial masters wherever they are to, for the independence of their uh, colonial territories. We did that in Angola and then in 1975. And then we also stepped our foot down for Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe also became independent. And consequently, Nigeria sponsored a bill or a motion in the United Nations that led to the formation of the Anti-Apartheid Committee. And Nigeria was given the chair of that committee for five years straight. We were chairing that Anti-Apartheid Committee until the independence of Namibia and there finally that of South Africa. So in order to put us in a very good state, we were at a very uncomfortable position because the Bota regime in South Africa did not want anything to do with Nigeria. So consequently, we had to walk through a third party, which was Cote d'Ivoire, was the only country that Bota could talk to. And that's why the first country to have an embassy in South Africa was Cote d'Ivoire. And we were walking through them. And we also now had to open a, a frontline state office in uh, Lusaka. So we, we and uh, the first, I remember very clearly that the first foreign service officer from Nigeria who was posted to that frontline office was Ambassador Aina. He's late now, and he was also the first High Commissioner of Nigeria to Namibia. So we were operating from Zambia, and the ANC that we are under pressure from from uh, Bota regime, we are making coordinations all from Zambia. And um, let me also not forget mm. that uh, that uh, the first ANC ambassador to be received in South Africa was Tabon, uh, in Nigeria was Tabon Beki. And uh, he also, as a, as a fugitive then from Bota regime, he schooled in Nigeria and made a lot of impact in Nigeria, made a lot of friends. So it is not a surprising thing that during the uh, Tabon Beki regime and up to today, he's one of the closest friends of Nigeria. And uh, he was also one of the movers of the motion for the formation of uh, NEPAD, as well as uh, uh, the, the siting of NEPAD office in South Africa. So we have, uh, like I said earlier, we have contributed so much to the stabilization uh, of South Africa and uh, that made it uncomfortable for the Bota regime to continue with the apartheid policy. So they had in 1994 to, to vacate the seat and give way to majority rule. So that's how, sure. how far we have come. Yes.
It is a long road that we have walked, and perhaps I should just remark, yes. as I was listening to you, on a, on a few things which are important to highlight, and I think you couldn't yes. have said it better when you remarked, particularly in the administration of Presidents Mbeki and Obasanjo, yes. and I think the diplomatic exactly. relations and the general relations, historically even South Africa and Nigeria, they were at their peak in that administration, which culminated, among other things, the formation yes. of NEPAD, the African Peer Review Mechanism, and yes. the AU in May of 2002, I think it was in Durban but, at the time, yeah. So, yes, so, so Mbeki and Obasanjo certainly brought home the bacon between these two nations, and of course the exactly. history of it um, is important. It was yes. not long after they both left office. In fact, we yes. saw the very ugly side of South Africa's personality when in 2008, for instance, we were yeah. saying foreign nationals must go and at the yeah. heart of foreign nationals or the identity of those foreign nationals were certainly Zimbabweans and Nigerians. And that has tended to rear its ugly head too often, one would suggest, in South Africa. How does that, as a Nigerian national at a start, never mind as a diplomat of Nigeria, but as a Nigerian national living in South Africa, how does that resonate or how does that sit with you knowing this is yes. what the ordinary South African thinks of the ordinary Nigerian? Yes. You see, like I said earlier, history is, uh, uh, should not be allowed to repeat itself if only we learn from history. But unfortunately, like I told you earlier, the average or young South African has no inkling and has no knowledge of the vast contribution and sacrifice that Zimbabwe particularly made uh, for the, the, the ANC Keda in Ponto Wasizwe. The Ponto Wasizwe was, uh, you know, uh, was more of a branch of the armed wing of the ANC that hibernated in Zambia and later on when Zimbabwe became independent, they moved into Zimbabwe. And you can see that uh, relations between those who contribute, those countries that contributed at, at that time should have been more appreciated by the average uh, South African if the youngsters from uh, secondary school are taught some basic history about themselves and the evolution of the nation. Because nationality cannot be promoted in isolation. Mm. You mm. must know how, where you are coming before you plan where you are going. So most, the average South African now does not know where he's coming from, so he doesn't even know the, his next destination. Because most of the countries that have developed over the years have done so with co major contributions coming from, you know, from expatriates. So if uh, all the expatriates should live as uh, some of the youngsters are saying, the, the vacuum they will leave behind, they cannot fill up that space. So it is better for them to know some history and then some economics so that they can put the uh, uh, political economy together and cut uh, a new direction for the African continent. Yeah. Instead, yeah. Of, instead of uh, thinking in the myopic form that South Africa is, the, is, is all and all. Yeah, there's some bombs being dropped, yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. South Africans. 086-000-2032. Yeah. I would love yeah. to field a couple of calls with the ambassador, Mohamed yeah. Haruna Manta, Nigeria's high commissioner to the Republic of South Africa, giving us historical accounts of where this relationship comes from. If you're the average South African under the age of 50, well, you have been told 
you probably don't know the history that is relevant for you to know because at least the education system and the setup itself has failed you to not acknowledge as one as one perhaps should the history that really does matter pan african type of history Let's go to some sour points between Nigeria and South Africa. And perhaps I did ask this question about how South Africans ordinarily feel about the Nigerian community, more particularly when we see these bouts of xenophobic attacks. This is not necessarily unprecedented. In fact, even in 1983, we know the presidential um, executive order of that year um, in the administration of Shagari, where it said Ghana must go. Now, this is obviously something which is a blight on the Nigerian history, certainly with Ghana. And I have no doubt, even to this day, it is something that Ghanaians would continue to remind you. Of course, it probably is true that South Africans will forever be reminded about how they continue to treat Nigerian nationals in this country. What can we learn from the Ghana Must Go experience between Nigeria and Ghana as South Africans vis-a-vis Nigeria? Yes, you see, what you have brought a very good uh, point there because today, Nigerians, majority of Nigerians, or, or rather, let me see, the learned Nigerians, uh, particularly regret that episode because history has shown us that it was only a revenge mission. Because in, uh, prior to 1983, in 1969, Ghana expelled all Nigerians at the, at, at, during our most trying period. So the politicians in 1980 were of the view that, uh, unfortunately also, one of the victims of the 1969 Busia uh, expulsion of Nigerians, who was then a small child, and I think in secondary school, later became the Minister of Home Affairs. And then it was like his turn now to revenge the maltreatment of his parents that uh, Busia did. So uh, it, uh, history has shown that uh, vengeance is only for the weak-minded. For the strong-minded, they use, vengeance, they use you know, history to improve themselves and make them stronger. So the Ghanaian uh, instance in Nigeria was a very dark spot, which I'm sure many of the, the, the actors at that time, if they are still alive, would be, would be regretting it, that it shouldn't have happened. Even though Ghana exposed, exposed Nigerians in 1969, and uh, the revenge in 1983 proved to have been more disastrous than the than the initial injury, and this is exactly what South Africans are trying to repeat. Mm. Because yeah, because if they go that way, they just like Nigerians are regretting that 1983 action, they may also fall victim to it. Well, a generation that doesn't know its history is certainly doomed to repeat it, and this is exactly what is playing out now. Exactly. exactly. Let's have something which is probably shared more for the wrong reasons than anything else. I think Corruption Watch and generally the South African and Nigerian experience is that corruption in our respective nations is high. What would you attribute that to? You know what's going on in South Africa. You're on a national radio program now. This is not a a foreign media platform for you to access. And it will, among other outlets, lament the high rate of corruption in this country, which really is eating into the inroads that were sought to be made by the democratic era, of which you were certainly, as a nation, part of ushering for us. Nigeria, similarly, has got some serious problems. In fact, it has prompted authors, prominent authors, Wole Soyinga, 
Chinua um, Achebe to write disparagingly about how post-colonialism and upon our gaining our independence, how those protagonists have abused access to power and power being resources at the expense of what ultimately they were fighting for to gain that very independence. There's a lot of case, there's a lot of material between South Africa and Nigeria. How do nations get there? And, and more importantly, how do nations emerge uh, from that? Yes, I, I will tell you briefly that uh, Nigeria got to a, into a bad uh, cycle of corruption because of the Western uh, propaganda and the Western exploitative uh, policies towards Africa at the time. You know, after independence, or rather shortly before independence, Nigeria was a source of raw materials for the industries in the West. And this uh, was in the form of cocoa, cotton, uh, uh, palm oil, uh, columbite, bauxite, uh, coal. So they were used to getting their raw materials from Nigeria at uh, less than uh, what I would call reasonable market price. They were rather exploiting those, those commodities. So after independence, they still wanted a situation where they would continue to exploit. And they could only do that effectively if they promoted a bourgeoisie class, that is a, a, a middle-level class that will service the government and uh, doctor the papers and do what do this unclean business so that they continue to to triple or, or quadruple the, the profits. So it was a question of profits that drove corruption into the Nigerian system. But unfortunately, I don't think uh, it's the same thing that uh, sh should be used in the case of South Africa. Because South Africa was handed over a nation that had fairly developed, uh, you know, industrially, they could produce most of uh, the basic needs of the country without having to import whereas Nigeria had to import basically everything. So when they sell their produce and they quite, they, the Westerners pick this produce as giveaway prices, they import luxury items at a very ex expensive uh, prices. So you see, for a, for a public servant, the best only way he could uh, you know, retain that test and uh, live big was by cutting corners because his salary could not give him that luxury. So most of the politicians and um, the civil servants in Nigeria grew up into some uh, deliberate corruption, uh, you know, uh, establishment already put in their part. So anybody who could not go that way was seen as uh, against them. And uh, he ended up either being imprisoned or, or being sent out of the service. So, but South Africa, on the other hand, did not inherit a country that was not undeveloped. Uh, this is a country that was fully developed. It had uh, a lot of uh, production indicators, very positive, particularly electricity. There was electricity. At that time, we are told that uh, South Africa had up to 40 megawatts of electricity, which was more than uh, about 200% of their requirements. So how did they get into this position? We talk of corruption, but uh, particularly during the, the Zuma regime, they, the people who worked in ESCOM were not uh, particularly good at, uh, at increasing the power supply or maintaining 
the machinery in the power sector. So now what we have is uh, aging machinery that need to be serviced and uh, which you know you cannot do in less than uh, 12 months or even two years. So if you if you look at it very well, most of the the power generating uh, systems are either moribund now or they are collapsing and they have to be put off. So that is so that that does the, the major difference between the two. We will talk some more. We'll certainly talk some more. I'm mindful of time. I just have one question, which I think is an important question in response to the matter you made reference to how the African Continental Free Trade Agreement is an opportunity, certainly for economic development. Sean Nero in Cape Town asks the following question, and he's very polite in saying, good evening, Songhezo and the Honorary Ambassador. Can you kindly tell me how does Nigeria and South Africa work towards the African Continental Free Trade Agreement? That's the, I mean, free trade agreement yeah that's the first question of that and tied to it is how can smmes get involved in a practical manner there's another question that's the first question there's another question that's from vosilepu in mount frey good evening butsongezo this is vosilepu it has been a long while Khutman, and it feels so great to hear your voice great show as always just tuned into your show not so long ago but my submission on the topic is that corruption by our officials and government have caused our country to be where it is now so bad for an average South African because we are the ones hard hit by all of these. And then here's another comment from Willie in Kuma in Stillfontein. Nigeria's track record in other countries such as Japan and USA is sour due to drug dealing and human trafficking. If you will indulge us with those contributions from our listeners, please. And that will be the final question and comment. Uh, thank you very much. The Africa continental free trade area that is created by the AU. Um, the OAU, or rather the African Union, is not oblivious of the challenges that the creation of a continental free area will, will, will encounter. So if you look at the European Union, it took more than 20 years for them to, to make any in inroad into development issues because uh, what you have jointly with other countries that are not uh, uh, equally endowed you have to carry the weak or rather the strong must have to lift the weak in order for them to go together so if you the same thing with african union with all the african countries have to drag along together but the challenges are enormous one of the major challenges of the uh, uh, continental free area is the, in the area of tariffs. You see, you have double tariffs and in some, most cases like double taxation and as well as uh, uh, the security challenges. The infrastructure also is not there because if you, if you look very closely at uh, our borders and, uh, and artificial boundaries created, there aren't enough highways that... Uh, that uh, link the African countries together. We do have some respite in uh, Southern Africa. Southern Africa has a better communication linkage in terms of the roads and rails than uh, up to Eastern Africa. But that is not enough because the security is still a major challenge. A, 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 a truck that is loaded from South Africa heading to Malawi, we are just, the insurance is so high 
Because I've got one more sure. minute for your response. So if I can yes. ask you to move on to the final comment yes. that was yes. raised by Willie, Nigeria's track record in other countries, particularly on drug dealing and human trafficking. Yes, you see, uh, Nigeria's track record in other countries is uh, uh, is not something that uh, uh, we will say is not exaggerated. Most of, often, particularly, let me be very specific about South Africa, South Af- Nigeria's involvement in drugs in South Africa is exaggerated because there is no drug baron in South Africa that is a Nigerian. All those that bring the major traffickers of drugs, the drugs come in from South America, particularly from Brazil, and they come through the airports or the seaports. Nigerians don't own those facilities. So the, the bigger guys bring them in, but the Nigerians uh, youth are so daring that Maybe you should use them as sales boys or sales girls. They, that is where you find the Nigerians. But what is the government doing to take the barons off this thread? Nothing virtually. You find that all the big policemen, the senior police officers and the, the narcotics officers are very close to the barons. But it is the young boys on the streets who are you know, struggling to make ends meet that catch the eye. But let me tell you, sincerely, there is no drug baron in South Africa that is a Nigerian. You could have the little small, small agents or hawkers on the streets, but the government has to look inward and deal with the barons. Very Stop well. the drugs from, from coming in. No, yes, sure. The, yes. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I apologize the, for having to interrupt you, but yeah, we are woefully out of time, but I can only express Thank my you. gratitude for your time against Thank the you. promise that you, you will certainly score an invitation to come back only for longer so that we can really get to the bottom of some of these very important issues and very necessary issues, certainly if not for debate, for academics' sake.